Well, how you doing? You alright? I got part of the way through the first message and I just thought, I think I sound really cranky. So if I, if I do that, I'm not actually cranky, is that okay? I've just come back from holidays. So you don't typically go from being on holidays to cranky quickly, but I guess you could uh, if, if you had to. But um, one of the things that uh, I've been pretty um, keen on uh, in, in my household, I've uh, got four sons, um, is just making sure they understand theological terminology, right? Christians are pretty good at saying things like, oh, God's gracious or he gives grace. And, we took, you know, there's been a lot of stuff about mercy here today. But um, people don't always understand exactly what those things are. So I've uh, kind of boiled them down to a little bite-sized chunk for my kids. So I taught them, uh, uh, what's grace? And uh, the correct answer, by the way, is um, when God gives you something good that you don't deserve. And I say, then what's mercy? Um, That's when you get out of trouble. So you're in trouble, you get out of trouble. So grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. Mercy is getting out of trouble. Um, one, we're going to actually today, what I'm going to do is we're going to actually intermingle. We're going to see a story that intermingles uh, faith and mercy. Now, faith is another one that gets thrown around, right? It's not one that I, I uh, teach directly to my kids, but a really simple definition of faith is really it's just active trust in Jesus. That's what it is. So I think for most of my life, over half of my life, I've heard the thing faith talked about and I just go, well, that sounds really good, but I don't really know what it is. Uh, but that kind of helps me. It's like an active trust in, uh, in Jesus. So what are we going to do today? Um, we're going to do a story out of Mark 10 where a guy gets healed. And it's actually the last healing in the book of Mark. All right, let me give you a couple of little pieces of information that I'm not really sure why they're relevant, but they're interesting. One of them is, is it's the last healing in the book of Mark. Another one is that um, this is in Matthew, Mark and Luke, the three Gospels, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. This is the only healed person who actually gets named um, in, in all of those three Gospels. Um, and today we're actually going to see something that's a very dramatic healing. Now, we've just finished, uh, have we not? A nice little, uh, well, hopefully it was nice for you, a nice series on uh, suffering uh, a number of weeks ago. And what tends to happen for churches is churches tend to have a really robust, full kind of theology of suffering or they tend to have a really robust, full theology of healing and they tend to be, the the ones in the middle that have both are pretty rare, all right? It does actually happen, but they're actually pretty rare. And typically, and I'm not wanting to say this to kind of offend anyone because I'm not saying which team we're on, Okay, we're on Jesus' team, by the way. That's the only team we're on. But in terms of denominational teams, I'm not going there. The people who have got a really robust theology of suffering tend to be mainline denominations and they tend to be weak in their theology of healing. And the people with a really robust theology of healing tend to be charismatic Pentecostal type churches and they tend to be weak in their theology of suffering. Okay, so now that I've just offended all of you, you can go home, I guess. I guess that's the end of the message. Um, so what we're going to do is, uh, is we're going to look at this, uh, this man, Bartimaeus, um, and we're going to see this interplay that's going on between faith and mercy. Um, because what you'll see today is that every single act of healing, uh, whether it be physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, every act of healing is an act of mercy. So why don't you uh, read with me? We're going to read Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. 
They came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, we'll just pause there for a minute. This would not have been uncommon back in the day, okay? We've got, there's no disability support pension back in this day. There, there would have been beggars pretty regularly around the place because that was how they were actually going to stay alive. Now, in our culture, we don't have many beggars, right? We've got buskers, but don't call a busker a beggar because they'll probably get very upset with you. Um, then you might be the beggar after that. You'd be begging for mercy from them. Anyway, um, I, went to, uh, I went to Indonesia a little while ago. I was in the middle of Jakarta. And um, you, just, you just see a lot more of that stuff in other countries. And those of you who have been overseas, you just know that you do. I remember walking to this very opulent uh, shopping centre in the middle of Jakarta and going across this pedestrian overpass and there was a guy lying there and lots of people lying there and sitting around and I came back and I reckon the guy was in exactly the same position and the thought crossed my mind, I wonder if he's even alive. Like, we're in the shops for an hour and a half or so and I come back and here's the guy there. And I mean, this is the reality. That kind of thing is going to be the reality in Jesus' day. All right? People are around uh, trying to work out and trying to scrape through and and stay alive. So uh, Bartimaeus, blind beggar, sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. See, that sounds like the Sonnegal boys. Right there. Okay? Shh. Louder. <laughs> all right? Let's just kind out roll. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now let me just have a crack at doing this differently. Son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Son of David. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like you are completely socially inappropriate right now. All right? That's what's going on. But he's just out there and he's into it. Jesus stopped and said, that kind of, the Greek word behind stop there kind of means he stopped in his tracks. What's going on? And said, call him. They called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So I think in Mark 10, we actually see four things. We learn four things about faith. We learn that faith comes through hearing. We learn that faith admits weakness and misery. Faith overtakes the whole person and faith provokes mercy mark 10 verse 46 to 47 actually shows us that faith comes through hearing do you notice here it it actually says um and as jesus was leaving jericho with his disciples and a great crowd bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of timaeus was sitting by the roadside and when he heard that it was jesus of nazareth how did he find that information out someone told him (laughs) yeah someone told him if you look at the same story in Luke 18, listen to this. As he drew near Jericho, Jesus, a blind man, was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. How did Bartimaeus know it was Jesus? Someone told him. You see, Bartimaeus's faith, his trust, has got an object and it's Jesus. And the reason why it's Jesus is because someone told him Jesus was coming past, all right? And it was kind of like what I'm trying to do today. I'm standing up here today and I'm saying, you should trust Jesus, all right? Trust Jesus. Jesus is trustworthy. So what's actually going on here? He probably didn't even get that much, but 
I mean, the questions I asked, I think, oh, I wonder how he knew that Jesus was going to be able to help him. How did he know that? Oh, probably people told him about Jesus. People are telling him. They're just telling him stuff about Jesus. Here comes Jesus. He calls out, be quiet. No, I need Jesus. Somehow he's worked out through the things that he's heard that Jesus is someone that he needs to get mercy from and he needs to get help from. Has anyone ever seen this quote? Preach the gospel if necessary, use words. There's two big problems with this quote. Does anyone know they are? First one is he never said it. (laughs) All right. Francis of Assisi never said it. Do you know how we know this? Because the only books that attribute this quote to Francis of Assisi were written after 1990. Do you know when Francis of Assisi died? 1226. All right. Now, you don't have to be a great historian to work that one out. You're just going, we've got some problems here. Okay. Let me add a couple more things to the pile for this, uh, this quote here. Francis of Assisi was actually from a preaching order in the church, right? Just stop there for a sec. He's from a preaching order and he was known to preach up to five times a day, all right? Francis of Assisi's first biographer, Thomas of Salino, writing just three years after his death, wrote this. Sometimes preaching in up to five villages a day often outdoor sorry our man clearly spent a great deal of time using his words when he preached sometimes preaching in up to five villages a day often outdoors in the country uh, francis often spoke from a bale of straw or a granary doorway in town he would climb on a box or up steps in a public building he preached to any who gathered to hear the strange but fiery little preacher from assisi he was sometimes so animated and passionate in his delivery that his feet moved as if he were dancing Do you really think Francis of Assisi is going to write that? I don't think so, all right? Not only do we have no historical evidence from closer to the time that he actually wrote it, but I don't think he would even write it himself, all right? Now, some of you might be going, are you bagging this quote that has been around in the Christian community for the last 25 years? Well, kind of, all right? I am bagging it. Now, what is the point of this? quote the point of this quote really is to say you better just make sure that your actions match up to your words now do you think you could find you don't know but do you just have a guess because you get this right if you guess it do you think francis of assisi might have said that yeah yes you're right so you're historical scholars well done all right because he did say that right but he didn't say don't talk now what this quote does is it actually pits behavior against using your mouth now that's the first reason why this is a dodgy quote. Let me give you the second reason. You can work out whether this is a dodgy quote or not based on going back to one of the first messages that I actually preached at the, at the project, not because I preached it. That's not the reason why it's dodgy, but because of what the Bible says. Who, um, who here knows what the word gospel actually means? What is it? It's good news, right? Good world-changing news. Does anyone remember what an evangel is? which is the, the, the root word from which we get evangelist. A messenger who brings good news, all right? So you guys, you, you might not, I mean, it gets overused with the tele-evangelist and all that sort of stuff. But here's the thing, if you're a Christian, your job is to be an evangelist, to go and tell people good news, okay? So here's the thing. If the gospel is good news, an evangelist is someone who tells good news, can you tell the gospel without speaking? No, you can't. 
Yeah, it's actually impossible to preach the gospel without words. See, the gospel is inherently verbal and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behaviour. And this starts to sound strangely like another scripture in Romans chapter 10 where it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are... As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I don't mean to be cranky or rude about this, right? But sometimes, I understand the spirit behind this quote, right? But sometimes I think that the Christians who quoted are gutless, okay? Because I actually think what's actually motivating them underneath is that they don't want to actually say something about Jesus because then they're just going to get ostracized or criticized or people are going to think they're dumb. And it's just like, I am just going to live and my example is going to convert people. All right? You know what the problem with that is? You're not good enough. And I'm not good enough. No one, I don't think, and here's the thing, let's, let's, to be fair, there are some really, really good people out there that don't follow Jesus, Right? And seriously, I look at them and I just kind of go, I do not want to get into a competition as to whose life preaches louder about what's true. Because I think I'm going to lose. In fact, the, the fact that my life is not a good enough example means that I need to talk about what the gospel is so that people can see what it is. You with me? Faith comes by hearing. Number two, faith admits weakness and mercy they came to jericho and as he was leaving jericho with his disciples and a great crowd bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of timaeus was sitting by the roadside and when he heard that it was jesus of nazareth he began to cry out and say jesus son of david have mercy upon me and then he says it again do you know what's true for bartimaeus is that this man is in trouble isn't he he's a beggar there's no disability support pension he's blind He's stuck, he's in trouble, and he can't get himself out. Now, I'm not necessarily speaking against people who do this kind of thing, but this, this is really different to the whole claim yourself a miracle kind of deal, isn't it? It's like name it and claim it. Jesus died on the cross and I've just got to claim that thing. Bartimaeus is not like that. Bartimaeus is noisy about his neediness. You notice that? He's not saying, I deserve this from Jesus. He's saying, I am in a completely powerless position here and I need your help. It's a direct, powerless appeal to Jesus. And you know, sometimes I think, um, I wonder, I'll just put it out there, I wonder how much Christians love the name it and claim it stuff because it gives them some sense of power. Maybe. Some of you might go, well, where else in the Bible do people cry out for mercy? I'll tell you, you go to the Psalms and you're just going to find it all over the place. Psalm 6 verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 123.3, Have mercy upon us, O God. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of content. Why are there so many cries for mercy in the scriptures? Because there's so much trouble. 
You see, sin, the entry of sin in Genesis 3, um, the, the act of Adam and Eve to turn against God brought misery and trouble into the world. And now we have sickness, starvation, tragedy, evil, old age, cancer, things going wrong, relational strife, depression, anxiety, financial strife, physical blindness and so on. And I don't mean to be harsh toward Bartimaeus or anyone else at this point in time, but hear me well on this. Bartimaeus deserved his misery. You and I deserve Bartimaeus' misery. None of us are deserving of anything short of God sending us all to hell. You have no bargaining power. Do you get that? You don't have any bargaining power in and of yourself. You see, sickness and death are the result of sin. And there's a sense with Bartimaeus where he just goes, I am just stuck in this stuff and I need you to help me, please, Jesus. You know, there's a sense in which all of us deserve worse than what we are getting right now. You know, I mean, I don't know, you're sitting there, you've probably got bit of BA killer underneath maybe it's working for you maybe it's not maybe you've forgotten you're thinking about what the person next to you is thinking about and you're sitting in this nice hall that's got a roof on it and there's a bit of a breeze coming do you get what I'm saying you are getting you are getting more mercy than you deserve right now because that's the nature of mercy and some of you might be going it's time for a toilet break and I might take my car keys when I go to the toilet and I'll go home right because this is getting a bit ugly now but listen I think if you feel like that, you know, and we're not, we're going to finish on a happy note, right? But we've just got to do the, the hard stuff, the bad stuff. If you feel like that, doesn't that kind of show you where we've gotten to? You know, we, we're such a, we, we can be such an entitled society that we deserve things and I've got rights and I've got this and that. But when it comes to God, I'm just telling you, you've you got nothing. In the natural, you've got nothing. You've got nothing to offer him that he wants. In fact, anything that you could offer him, he doesn't want, all right? in terms of your sin and all that sort of stuff, you're just in trouble. And this is... Um, well, let me put this out for you. Consideration. If you don't feel a keen desire and need for mercy today, it's likely because you're proud. Because you know what? Proud people don't need mercy. They just need everyone else in this frustrating world to get in line with their plan. You get what I'm saying? See, humble people and needy people don't dictate the terms. They don't do that. And you see that with Bartimaeus here is he is not dictating the terms to Jesus. He's saying, I'm stuck, I'm in trouble and I desperately need you. And in a sense, that's, what we, that's the point we need to get to, is we need to actually get to the point now, whether you follow Jesus or not, the truth is that you just need to appeal to God for mercy and for help. Because all that we deserve, in the natural, all that we deserve is misery from God. Now, it's going to get better. Right? Some of you are going, should have stayed home. I want to read a prayer from uh, Daniel 9. Um, I might skip a little bit of it, but I want to read most of this prayer from Daniel 9. It's a beautiful prayer that asks God for mercy. Now, Daniel's looked at uh, some of Jeremiah's prophecies. He's worked out it's not long 
before uh, the Israelites in exile are going to be able to go back to Jerusalem and he starts praying and asking God for, um, for help. So I'll skip that first bit. Then I turned to the, my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Hear that? Fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, here's the thing. We don't do that. If you had someone that was cranky with you, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to sit and you're going to think about it a bit. And the first five points you're going to say is how wonderful you are. But that's not what Daniel does. He, he walks out, in a sense, in prayer. He, he walks to God in prayer and he goes, right, let me give you the first five reasons why you shouldn't do anything for us. <laughs> we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. All right? He's just kind of gone, you're in the right, we're in the wrong, we've got nothing, but I'm still talking to you. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands in which you've driven them, because of the treachery that they've committed against you. To us, O Lord, just in case you missed it, uh, belongs open shame. Do you get, do you get what he's doing? The, the plea for mercy is kind of a noisy neediness all right it's kind of like coming to god and saying there is no good reason in me or in us for you to do anything good for us to us O lord belongs open shame to our kings to our princes and to our fathers because we've sinned against you to the lord our god belong mercy and forgiveness for you we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the lord our god by walking in his laws um i'm going to go to the last one O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Now, I'm just going to ask you a quick question. What is daniel's hope in this prayer is it is it in his own record no it's not what's his hope what's he banking all his hope on on what yeah he's he's banking all of all of his hope on god's mercy isn't he it's, he's kind of he's rolled it out he's just gone right here's the deal here's 300 words to describe how lousy we've been but here's my hope my hope is in you and in your character Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. And this is probably the most stark statement in my view that demonstrates how uh, Daniel is not relying upon their own uh, ability to twist God's arm, but upon God's character. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Do you hear that? That's what mercy does. You guys have applied that that game maybe it's just a boy game you know where you put your hands together it's kind of a boy's way of holding hands and it's called mercy do you know that one and you try and bend each other's wrist right back do you know what i'm talking about 
once your wrist is bent back and it feels like it's about to snap and you call for mercy, at that moment you're at the mercy of the person who's got authority over you and what happens next depends upon what their character is. Doesn't it? That's, that's kind of how it rolls. That's how the game is played. And you know, with Bartimaeus and with Daniel, they're both saying, we've got nothing to offer you. We've got no arm twisting that we can do. We are not good enough. What happens next after their plea for mercy depends upon the character of the person who they're appealing to. Now, when uh, one of my kids was three years old, I, um, I was having a rumble with him. Got four boys, so that's what you do. And when you don't want to have a rumble, you have rumbles. I don't even know how it happens. You can have coffees, cups of coffee in your hand and all of a sudden they're packing a scrum down and your legs are the opponent pack. And like, it's just, it's, it's a madhouse sometimes, but it's fun. Anyway, I'm having this rumble with this uh, son of mine and um, he's about three and uh, just got to the point where I just, I kind of grabbed him, got him in a lock and, he, and I said, I've got you. And then he just, he's kind of worked out, okay, I know what I can do here. And so he's gone like that to me and he's gone, I've got you. And I said, wow, that's interesting. I said, have you ever heard of a truce? And he goes, no. I said, do you know what it is? He goes, no. I said, you know what a truce is? A truce is when two people have got each other in trouble and they give each other mercy. Right? And um, I, said, I said, do you ever think that you need to make a truce with God? You know what he said? He said, no, you don't. I said, why not? He said, because God's not the one in trouble. We're the ones who are in trouble. I said, so what do we need? He goes, we need mercy. He doesn't need mercy from us. We need mercy from him. I'm going to throw a question up on the screen here. And um, I'm going to give you maybe a minute just to think about it. Um, Because it's a pretty probing question. The kingdom of heaven, following Jesus, is not for the well-meaning but for the desperate are you desperate Number three, faith overtakes the whole person. Do you see what happens for Bartimaeus? He's calling out, they're saying, be quiet. He's calling out louder. And then all of a sudden, this kind of thing where Jesus kind of stops in his tracks and he calls Bartimaeus. And what happens as soon as Bartimaeus gets told that Jesus is calling you, champ? What happens? He throws his coat off. He springs up and he went to Jesus. Do you know, faith needs to do that. Faith, your trust in Jesus, needs to overtake your whole person. You see, Jesus is calling him when everyone else is telling him to be quiet. You know, I mean, there's lots of... It's it's a weird thing being in the church sometimes. Like today, I'm not having to go at you, but I'm just saying, today, there was a song that talked about raising your hands and a whole bunch of you just are like that. Now, I'm not, I don't even know who was 
doing that, right? I'm not sitting up the back of the clipboard, even though we've got it for the marriage weekend. I'm not sitting up there ticking you off or whatever about that sort of stuff, right? Do you get my point? Sometimes in the church, it's like we've got our little kind of community rules, don't we? It's like you put your right hand up, you know, it's almost like the hokey pokey, you know. You can put it up at certain times, put it down, then put your left hand. I'm ambidextrous, I do them both at the same time sometimes. And you go, it's weird putting your hands up. Well, not at the football, all right? You get into worship at the football, so uh, Jesus is way better than football, so why not do it here? Uh, and you might go, well, that's a bit weird, right? But do you get the sense from Bartimaeus here? He's just kind of going, oh, you guys don't want me to call any louder and you're asking me to be quiet, so I'll just be quiet. Like, that's not there, is it? It's just like, I'm into this. <laughs> I've got to get to that guy and I don't care what anyone else thinks. And sometimes we get stuck there, don't we? Let's, let's just be honest about it. We get stuck there and sometimes even when you've got the home ground advantage at church, we get stuck at church, don't we? It's just like, someone's going to be behind me and they're going to be watching me put my hand up in the air and giving myself completely to Jesus. Someone at the uh, end of the first service came down and just laid face down on the ground here. All right? Now listen, some of you are going, well, that's weird. Well, not really, all right? If there was a king, if you're in a monarchy and you were there with a king that could really destroy your life, you'd, it'd look like you were calling for mercy, wouldn't it? You would be down on your knees and if you had to grovel, you'd grovel, wouldn't you? Some of you go, oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, I reckon you would. I reckon you would. But sometimes for us, you know, we just, we get in church and we just kind of, there's just some kind of there's social kind of rules that we're supposed to be doing and it just kind of truncates and suffocates faith in us. And sometimes there's people who God speaks to and calls and they know it. This is people who aren't even following Jesus. They know it, but they don't follow him because they're scared about what other people might think. Do you know if this man, as far as we can tell, if he listened and he cared too much about what other people thought, he would have never been healed, probably. Would he? He would have missed it. It was because he ignored the crowd and he went after Jesus that he got healed. And I wonder for you, are you in the place today where you can come to Jesus and cry out to him for mercy, even in a way that it seems weird to other people? Even in a way that it seems weird compared to what you're accustomed to? I mean, I grew up in the church, right? It's, it's, this is kind of... I've seen a lot of this stuff in the church in my life, you know? Like, if you've ever been... Does anyone remember that song, I Get So Thrilled With Jesus? Yeah, what was this, like, old school kind of early worship song? You could go into so many Presbyterian churches at the time, they'd all be standing there singing, I Get So Thrilled With Jesus with a straight face, you know? They just would be. And you just kind of go, that's a bit funny. But for me, I lived that life for a while, right? And standing there with interlocking fingers singing bind us together and all that sort of stuff and and somehow just subdued so incredibly subdued physically rather than just letting our faith drive us and i would ask you today what have you become accustomed to i, I wonder this what have you suppressed because it's too painful for you to be disappointed again you see, part of actually crying out for mercy is actually feeling the misery that you're in, right? And sometimes I think what we do is we actually suppress the misery because we're either disappointed because God didn't do what we wanted him to do or maybe you just don't think it's big enough or maybe you just discount it. You probably think it's pathetic, all right? 
What has your heart longed for and cried out for that you've stopped asking for? You see, I'm not guaranteeing anyone that Jesus is going to heal anything. He's a free agent. (laughs) He can do as he pleases. But I know that he's good. And at the end of the service today, there's going to be an opportunity for you to come forward. And, you know, I prayed for a guy's healing today. All right? And I prayed in faith, trusting in Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want you to heal this man. You know what? He might do that. (laughs) Our job is not to twist Jesus' arm. Our job is to go to Jesus and say, I'm in trouble. I need mercy. This man's in trouble. He needs mercy. You see, Bartimaeus was not certain that Jesus was going to heal him. He just knew and he was certain about the fact that Jesus could if he wanted to. And the blind man puts his weight upon Jesus' character. Is that what you do? Do you know that Jesus is rich in mercy? Point number four. Faith provokes mercy in Jesus. You notice what Jesus says to Bartimaeus? He says, what do you want me to do for you? You know what's interesting about Bartimaeus is he's seeing Jesus better than people with good eyesight, isn't he? There's a poor, powerless man, stops Jesus in his tracks, and there's an irony here that Bartimaeus is not the blind guy. And the fact that Jesus calls him over and asks him a question, I mean, I I think that's really beautiful. You know why? Because even in our culture, it's kind of discrimination if you say, oh, that's the blind guy. That's blind Bartimaeus because people are not meant to be known by their disability. You with me on that? That's just kind of how it rolls. Could Jesus have just fixed the blind guy? He could have. But no, I mean, hopefully if you've been here long enough with Mark, Jesus never does it. He says, he talks to him. He brings him over. He says, come over. And then he comes over. Do you think Jesus knew what he wanted? Of course he knew what he wanted. What does he say? What do you want me to do for you? Let me ask you this. How would you answer that? I mean, Jesus is here today, but if he was here physically, and you could come up the front at the end and he said to you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? I'm not having a go, right? But I bet you some of you are just kind of going, well, if I ask that, does he want to do that? What if I did that? I asked him that last time, but then he didn't do that. I really want that, but that wouldn't be cool to ask him for that. So I'm just going to, you get what I'm saying? And you've got this mental thing going on where you just, Jesus, you know, it just doesn't have the cleanness of what's going on here with Bartimaeus. Jesus says, what do you want? He goes, well, I want to see. That's it. Done. And for us, we're just, we probably, some of us, we're just kind of going, well, you've got to ask things in accordance with God's will and what if he doesn't want to do it? And, and, you know, and you just end up in this debate in your head instead of just going, what is it that you actually want? <laughs> what do you want? You see, and the beautiful thing about Bartimaeus is he doesn't ask Jesus for wealth, power or success. Did you notice that? He asks him for sight. Bartimaeus asks Jesus... Not to be superhuman, but to be simply human. You see, for people who are well, normalcy may seem the bare minimum. But for people who are sick and troubled, normalcy is the greatest gift, isn't it? 
want you to look uh, really quickly between, uh, at the comparison between uh, Bartimaeus and the disciples. You know why? Because Jesus asked exactly the same question to the disciples in the same chapter. Here it is. Here's Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Let me recover my sight. Here's the disciples. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. <laughs> See the difference? You see, uh, James 4 says um, that there's two errors that people commonly make when they ask God for things. One of them is they don't ask. And the other one is they ask to spend it on their own passions and their own lusts. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not seeing Bartimaeus doing either of those things. But he's asking. Now, how many other blind people are sitting around who were beggars in the day who didn't ask Jesus? I don't know, but I reckon there were some. And I reckon... They missed out because they didn't ask. And I would ask you this morning, what is it that you're not asking God? Do you tend to be a person who doesn't ask or a person who asks for the wrong reasons or both? I think the first moment in my life of the most stark physical healing that I'd seen was the first time that I actually asked God for something that I hadn't really fully ever asked for before. Because you know what? I believed in the sovereignty of God. I believe God's in control and he's going to bring the best thing out of it. All right? And you can just trust him and you don't even really need to pray that much because uh, he's got it all under control. And you know what James would say to me and say to you? You have not because you ask not. So Ask. Now, God's the only free agent in the universe, right? He can decide what to do. And he's good and he's loving and we can trust him with what he decides to do. But let's not miss out because we don't ask. God is powerful. He's got so many resources. And we need to come to God. And there's going to be an opportunity for you in a minute to come to God and to plead to him for mercy somewhere. And you know what? Just like Bartimaeus, everything's going to hinge and hang on Jesus's character this morning as it did back then so what I want to give you is three character witnesses finish us off today character witness one this is God talking about himself to Moses on Mount Sinai Exodus 34 6 to 7 the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands character witness one against god you know what he does he keeps mercy aside for thousands get that so some of you just kind of is he going to run out no he's not going to run out he has a very big pantry all right and his pantry is very very full with mercy so when you need mercy you know what the deal is i've got some put aside for that right now so you can you just come and get some now he does hand out mercy generously, even to people who don't ask. But you get more when you ask. That's the deal here. So go and ask him. He keeps mercy for thousands. What about this one? This is, uh, the next one's from Lamentations, which is a lament about the uh, Israelites being in exile, uh, written, uh, we think, by, uh, by Jeremiah. He's just finished talking about how it's the uh, exile that they're in is like your teeth grinding on gravel and saying things like this. Anyway, and this is where it ends up. 
Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You hear that? See, maybe you didn't even think about it. And that's okay if you didn't think about it, but you know what? When you got up this morning, God had mercies put aside for you today. I'll just stop and think about that. He is going to get you out of trouble today. He's going to be helpful to you. When you get in trouble, he's going to be helpful. And you know what? He's put them aside, right? And, and the bad news is they've got a use-by date, which is the end of the day. But you know what the good news is? He's got more for tomorrow. He just, he's just going to roll another pallet out of the pantry, all right? And you're just going to have more mercies for tomorrow. Character witness three. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, what can you do with a dead person? Nothing, really. Bury them or cremate them. Those are pretty much your only options. Um, you can't, I mean, you give them some kind of injection, antibiotics, all right? It's pointless, okay? Beyond hope, in a sense. And that's what we all were prior to uh, coming to faith in Christ. And if you haven't come to faith in Christ, that's what you are right now. You're actually spiritually dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Pretty depressing reading at this point, yeah? The next sentence is just like 24-carat gold, isn't it? But God being... All right, so here's the thing. You're not going like God's got diet mercy and he's got three cans and it's just like, it's going to be like the Hunger Games and the first in best dressed, all right? You get the best weapons. It's not that, all right? God is not short of a quid when it comes to mercy, He's very, very rich in mercy. And so here's the thing. You want to be, do you, well, let me ask you this. Is it not, does it not make a whole lot of sense to be with a person with lots of mercy? Yeah. And if they're really generous with it and they set some aside for you and they want to give it to you, well, even more reason to be with them and get all the mercy that you possibly can get. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So I want to encourage you today, ask for mercy today. Ask for mercy. What is it? Is it a physical thing? Is it a relational thing? Is it an emotional thing? Is it a work thing? Is it a financial thing? You're in trouble. Ask for mercy today from Jesus. I want to finish with uh, this little story. I used to live in Sydney for eight years and um, I remember sitting in Carlingford McDonald's with a Mormon uh, talking about God. Uh, interesting conversation. Um, probably would have been in my early 20s. And uh, I just I said to him, I said, like, yeah, when you're a Mormon, how does God forgive you? He goes, well, he just forgives you. I said, no, 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 no. No, seriously. Like, if you do something wrong, how does... God, in your view, actually forgive you. He goes, no, no, God just forgives you. And I said, no, no. I said, no. I said, this is like you went to heaven and you borrowed God's car 
and you crashed it. All right? Someone's got to either take the dinged up car, the messed up car, or pay to get it fixed. You can't just like forgive it. Like it just can't, can't just go. Something has to happen to make it go. And he couldn't give me anything really that told me how that was going to happen to make the bad things go. But you know what? If Bartimaeus is blind because of sin and he was a sinner, Jesus can't just make his sickness go. It can't just disappear. It has to go somewhere. And do you know, uh, 800 years before Jesus, we know that historically, to be absolutely certain, there was a beautiful messianic prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 53, wasn't there? Those of you who know it, surely he bore our sicknesses and our infirmities. You see that? The reason why God can be so merciful to you in your trouble is because he took all of your troubles. He can't just forgive you. He can't, even with Bartimaeus, he can't just get rid of the blindness without him, in a sense, taking that blindness upon himself when he dies on the cross for you.